welcome in everybody to the Please Stay Inside podcast. My name is Rob. This is episode number 10. Very important day. We've hit double digits. We are joined today by Faye. Faye is a TikTok slash YouTube content creator. You can find her at B-O-Z-E-T-T-E-X-X, both on TikTok as well as YouTube. Uh, she left a Jewish Hasidic cult uh, and uses her platform to, among other things, discuss the difference between a religion and a cult. Faye, welcome on. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm Absolutely. really excited to be here. Absolutely. We're very excited to have you. So tell us a bit about your platform, a bit about uh, what it is that you talk about. Um, so at the beginning, when I created this platform, the first video that I posted, I thought I had posted it um, to be private. I just needed a place. The way I work through things is by venting out loud. And I had done this throughout my entire um, childhood and journey where I had made videos just for myself and never posted them anywhere. And then as soon as I saw TikTok, I'm like, perfect. I will create videos on here mm -hmm. and just post them for myself. I was shocked when people found it and were relating to it. And it kind of opened a whole new world. And I guess in TikTok, you can always find your niche. Mm -hmm. And I was shocked at how many people had left similar type of environments and how many people were interested in the kind of situation that I left. So you you were making these videos kind of for yourself to process through some things. And as you were doing that, you realized that other people were, 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 were starting to see these videos as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as other people started to see this, it actually gave me a lot of confidence and it helped me realize that a lot of people are going through it as well it wasn't just me going through it and um it while it did first put a stumbling block in my way because as soon as it started blowing up and i think pretty much within the first week i hit um like I think it was 5,000 followers within the first mm. week or month. Wow. And it just kind of hit me. And then it brought me to a place where I was nervous about mm. the people within the cult, within the community, um, finding my channel and seeing it and how that would affect my family that was still in there. Especially I do have a younger sister um, that is in there and she is one of the reasons where I often think about going back. Um, but I realized after speaking to a lot of people that it is actually more helpful for me to continue doing these videos so that when she gets older, because I'm currently not allowed to have contact with her, when she gets older, she will kind of see the progression of me trying to gain contact with her and what this process of leaving was like so she doesn't think it was just an overnight decision um because it's been seven years and it's still something i struggle with your process then you know in so one of the things that you're attempting to do is you're trying to demonstrate what your process is looking like right so that mm -hmm. you know if your sister finds it she's able to kind of see that process yeah um exactly i'm trying to um be transparent although it is 
kind of hard to be fully transparent mm -hmm. with this process because I have found that when I do mention past trauma or things um, that have gone on in my family, most people use that to invalidate the trauma that the community um, puts onto everybody within the community. Um, and they tend to focus on the fact that, oh, you left because of your family, when mm -hmm. there are many things that the community um, did that were also controlling and abusive. Like um, within school, many of our books were blacked out. Mm -hmm. um, many of the, a lot of the information in the books were blacked out. Um, and there was also these concepts of not trusting anyone that wasn't within the community. Mm. So these were stuff that were harmful on a community level, not just the familial level. So it is kind of hard to tread that line and figure out what to talk about. Mm. Um, now that the fact that more and more people are finding my content, it's kind of difficult to figure out what I can talk about while still having people validate the fact that it was the community, that something needs to change throughout the entire community, mm. not just in my family. It wasn't just a family thing. Hmm. So I guess from your perspective, what is it that people usually get hung up on? Like when they're defending the, the, the community and kind of saying, well, no, but no, maybe it was just your family. So a lot of people get hung up on the whole um, anti-Semitism and sure. believing that when you criticize, because Jewish people are such a small percentage of the entire population, as soon as, and, not, and most Jewish communities are extremely secluded, so you only hear about them in the news when something happens. So the fact that I am talking about um, stuff that need to change within the community and difficult stuff within the community, people see that as me spreading anti-Semitism and the fact that I am not keeping it within the community is something mm -hmm. they really have an issue with. However, I think it's important to educate people on the fact that every religion has communities that function as cults, like mm. within Christianity, there's Mormons, there's Mennonites, there's um, Jehovah Witnesses. Those communities function as cults. And mm. within Judaism, Hasidic groups function as cults. That does not mean that Judaism is a cult. That's just a religion mm. that the cult is under. Mm. And one of the things that you do with your page is you try to talk about the difference between a religion and a cult. So I guess if we could, in an attempt to, to bring some clarity, to simplify it a little bit, I guess what do you see as being like the difference between a cult and a religion? Um, so there is a lot. That can be a long answer if we go sure. into, you know, the bite model and meeting the criteria of a cult. However, mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing is the control aspect and the fact that when you leave a religion, if somebody just, let's say, 
in regular Christianity. I like to compare it to Christianity because I feel like it's more mainstream and more people understand it. Mm -hmm. But if somebody stops going to church or stops being religious, chances are they will still be able to live in the same community, live in the same neighborhood, still have a relationship with most of their family, keep the same friends, keep the same job. However, when I left, I was, um, my mom kicked me out. I got 48 hours to move out. I lost all of my friends besides for one, all of my family besides for my older sister who ended up leaving a couple of years later as well. But um, I lost everything pretty much overnight. And I think that is one of the biggest indicators when you're afraid that you're gonna lose everything that is probably a huge indicator of you, the fact that you're in a cult. Mm. Um, and one more aspect that I do like to bring up is the fact that um, there are a lot of times where I talk about rules that they had within the cult. Um, however, these rules are not what makes it a cult because other groups within Judaism still follow these rules. Mm. It's the fact that within the group that I grew up in, we were taught that if you don't do these rules, something bad will happen. Like for one example, um, the order we cut our fingernails in, there's a lot of rules when you cut your nails. You can't cut your fingernails and toenails on the same day. And when you're cutting your nails, you have to cut uh, fingers one, three, five, and then two and four. And then you either have to burn, um, flush, or bury the fingernails. And the reason why you do this is because when they're preparing a dead body, they cut the nails in order. And we were told, other groups are told like, oh, this is a nice thing. This is why we do it. And the, it's kind of left as an option as opposed to within the group that I grew up in, we were told if you don't cut your nails in this way, mm. God will unalive you. Um, and bring your death faster because you're cutting it as a dead as it's cut on a dead person. Mm. So it it's very much the putting the fear in you if you don't follow the rules exactly the way they want you to. Mm. I, I'm curious because I mean it, it's all of this. I imagine if I was younger, you know, I'm born into this community, into this cult, and, and this is all that I know. I mean, mm -hmm. these sound very like that, that. That even just that one example sounds incredibly terrifying to have to hear as a kid. Right. Um, I think we kind of just took it as is. I mean, mm. if you think about it, many of our not many there were a few teachers that we had that were holocaust survivors um that had gone through this terrible thing and i mean my first grade teacher was so i knew about mm. the holocaust and she would discuss dodging bullets as dodging watermelons and we would like play a game where she would act it out for us so mm. we were kind of exposed to these things at a young age and we were one thing that was really instilled in us which kind of I feel like many uh, cult-like communities do this where they teach you to fear the outside world and the only safety is within mm. the community. So we were taught this at a very young age that the entire world is out to get us and the only way we can stay safe and alive is by staying within the community and not trusting anyone on the outside. Mm. 
How does that impact your interactions with people who are not a part of the cult? Today or back then? I, I guess I guess back then. So back then, I would not have conversations with anyone that was not in the cult. Besides, for um, my mom did own a restaurant, and we did have employees that were on the outside, but we were very. It was very surface level with all of them, mm -hmm. um, our interactions. However, um, when I moved out, um, I was given 48 hours to move out by my mom and I found an apartment with two roommates. At first, I did not want to tell them the way I grew up because I was terrified they would want to unalive me. I guess I have to be careful with TikTok, mm -hmm. um, but that they would un want to unalive me. Um, and at some point, my mom decided to drop off kosher cook, cooked kosher chicken because um, kosher food has to be cooked in a kosher oven. Mm -hmm. um, so she dropped off cooked kosher chicken when she knew I was at work. And then like, she just left it on my doorsteps and cats came and ate it and stuff like that. And my roommates were kind of frustrated. So I had to explain to them why she did that because she was trying to get me to eat kosher food. Um, and then I explained to them that I had grown up Jewish and they were just so open to it, so open to learning and so open to teaching me about the things that I didn't know because I was mm. very naive. I had grown up very insulated and there was a lot I didn't know about the outside world. Wow. So they definitely helped me and it took a lot of unlearning to realize that not everybody is out to get me. Somebody is saying uh, so far while you're getting um, the mic sure. um, that they were part of a cult as well. Um, and the, it, they didn't think it was as intense as the group I left, but um, the process of leaving was just as difficult. And I think that's very much throughout all cults where the process of leaving um, is the most difficult because you realize that you no longer have value as a human being. You only had value while you were in the community and while you were part of the cult. But as soon as you can no longer contribute to that and you're no longer a part of that, you no longer have value as a human being and they don't care whether you live or die. So this experience, so how old were you when you moved in with these roommates? Um, I was 19. Um, so one of the roommates was in her 60s and the other was 32. So they were very much understanding and they had the patience and I'm so grateful for them. They had the patience to educate me. And when I said something ignorant or hateful and like these were stuff that were so ingrained in me that I wouldn't even think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, they would educate me and teach me and tell me why what I said wasn't okay. And mm. I did a lot of unlearning sure. while I was living there. And then after on my own, I also had to spend a lot of time unlearning um, everything else. Mm -hmm. out, of, um, out of curiosity, I do apologize if you already mentioned this. How is it that you had ended up uh, moving out at 19 in, into the, the place with these roommates? So, um, so actually my, um, I had, when I was 16, I went out and I bought an iPod touch mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I did not have access to the internet, so it's a bit complicated. I guess I can go into it. Um, when I was younger, um, we did not have access to the internet at all. Um, our parents weren't allowed to have access unless it was for business purposes. Mm-hmm. And when I was in the sixth grade, my parents actually got divorced and the school, which was really unheard of within the group. Mm -hmm. So the school wanted to kick me out of the school in sixth grade when my parents got divorced. My mom begged our principal and my principal and she allowed me to graduate. However, I, they told me I would not be accepted into any school within the community and within the neighborhood. So we actually moved from Brooklyn to Queens Mm -hmm. and I went to an Orthodox high school in the Orthodox high school. I was shocked because one day it was kind of a necessity to have internet to learn some things. Mm -hmm. Um, but in my household, because we were not used to having internet, my mom had downloaded this filter that sent her this program that called eBlaster. It sent her an email every 30 minutes of exactly what went on on the computer. Like if I was writing a Microsoft Word document, she would get the entire, every keystroke on her, on the email. Mm. So it was very limited access to the internet, but it was some access to the internet. And I was being educated for the first time about real world stuff. Mm. Um, So at 16, I snuck out and bought an iPod Touch where I had unfiltered access to the internet. And that's when I started researching things. And that's when I realized how many religions, how many belief systems there are in the world. And I couldn't imagine how anyone can pick one and say, this is right, everything else is wrong. Mm. To me, there just isn't enough evidence for that. Mm. So I... At some point during that year, she caught me with the iPod Touch, and I told her that I wanted to leave, but I wanted to maintain a relationship with her. Mm. So she first tried the whole crying thing, and then Mm. she told me that she would maintain a relationship with me if I did a number of things, which was as, as long as I was under her house, I had to follow her rules. Um, finish out high school in the Orthodox high school, Mm -hmm. go to Israel for a year and study in a seminary of her choosing uh, for a year after high school. And then when I got back, I had to get a job at a Jewish workplace. Okay. So I did all of that. And when I came back at 19, I got a job at a Jewish workplace and I was getting ready to move out. Um, and she decided to buy a used car because she was nervous. As soon as I would move out, she knew that I would stop following her rules. Mm. Um, so as soon as I decided I wanted to move out, she went and bought a used car and decided Mm. to give it to me, which I was super excited about. And the deal was that I would stay in her house as long Mm. as I had the used car. And so I used all of the money in the car that I had set away for rent to put mm-hmm. in the car as well instead, because it was a really old car, it needed a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, things were good for a couple of months. And a couple of months later, I was walking home from the gym. Oh, when we had made that deal about the car, 
Mm -hmm. I told her when I was outside of the house, I would do my own thing. But in her house, I would still follow her rules all the time. Mm. And a couple of months later, I was walking home from the gym wearing pants and she was driving around the neighborhood and she had never seen me wear pants before. And she mm. gave me 48 hours to move out. So um, that's kind of how I ended up moving out. Um, the plan was originally because I had no money in the bank. Mm -hmm. um, was to just live on the street and take showers at Planet Fitness and then go to work. But thankfully, I don't know how I found this property manager who wanted, who hadn't rented out this room that she was trying to rent out for a while. Mm -hmm. And she was willing to increase my rent at the beginning so I didn't have to pay my security uh, deposit. And then um, she waived also the last month rent which wow. was awesome what a gift goodness yeah oh, sorry let me just put the volume a bit higher sorry sure. what did you say it sounds like quite a gift i mean for for that yeah. person to to go to that extent yeah i'm i'm really lucky like the room apparently had been now it was a tiny room um mm -hmm. it was they had basically it was an illegal apartment in brooklyn where they had taken the kitchen and divided it into a room and a kitchen and like the room was tiny it only fit a twin size mattress mm -hmm. and i had a box fan in it but it was a room so um it had been empty for a while so mm -hmm. that's why i got such a good price on it but i was super happy i didn't have to sleep on the yeah. streets <laughs> yeah i mean especially yeah it, it can get very very cold out there um up north um, mm -hmm. so how did you react, I guess, when you found out that you had this 48 hours? I think I was in survival mode. I think I was in sure. survival mode for the first couple of years after I left. I just knew I had to take care of stuff. So I was not focusing on any of it. Um, I just found a place to live and then I found two more jobs. So I was working three jobs in total. And I was just making sure I took care of things. Um, and then when one of the jobs, so I did home therapy for a while uh, for mm -hmm. autistic children, and one of the uh, families cut down their hours. So at that point, I was just kind of floundering because I needed that structure. I needed to have every minute of my day filled up in order to survive emotionally. Mm. So I, at that point, which I did for the next couple of years, I would find relationships and go into that, make that person my life and find people that would give me that structure and tell me what to do mm. and just go with that um, for a good couple of years. Mm. What do you feel like that pattern of busying yourself going into these relationships, what do you feel like that protected you from? Um, I think it provided me that comfort and that safety where I was having someone tell me what to do and them giving me direction on how to gain affection and them telling me what's okay to do and what's not okay to do. Um, I think that was very important for me and that was kind of what I craved. Mm -hmm. And so now 
some this was only a realization I came to maybe a year ago. So this is the first time like I am intentionally single because I would go from a two-year relationship, have a week in between, and then head into another two-year relationship. Mm. So this is the first time that I am intentionally single and staying single because I don't want that pattern to keep repeating where I am relying on other people to give me that structure and to tell me what to do with my life. Mm. Do you want to be able to find that internally? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I imagine it's a uh, it's difficult to break that cycle and break that uh, that repetitive pattern to be able to try something so different. I mean, that's a that, that's a really brave route to go with things. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, no, it's taken a lot of therapy and stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, I did not start to work on myself really until two years ago um, after COVID hit. I was mm -hmm. hiking and I got bit by a tick and I got Lyme disease, but I didn't Ooh. know that. It displayed as depression and anxiety. So mm -hmm. I, my mind went to, okay, things are finally stable in my life. This is all my childhood stuff coming in. Let me deal mm -hmm. with that. And when I started dealing with that, which was great, but I didn't realize it was antibiotics that I needed. Mm -hmm. um, to actually solve the issue. But um, I think that's when I started to realize all of these things, these patterns that I was in mm -hmm. and these unhealthy coping skills that I had been using to survive for so long. Mm. Okay, I hear you. Um, so I guess, I mean, it's, it's quite a way to, to, to come to therapy, you know, getting Lyme disease and, and finding <laughs> your way into it. Um, so kind of going back to uh so one thing i am getting a lot of feedback um if you're able to distance one of them from the other um it might be because so one is on complete silence mm -hmm. so it might be because this one is resting on my laptop so i'm just going to okay. move it to some tissues cool cool and see if that helps terrible angle but is that helping uh yes that helps a lot i really appreciate that um, okay. <laughs> so returning back to this moment when you're 16 um so were there any indications i guess before you had this access to the internet that maybe things were that that, that something was up i guess for, for lack of a better way of putting it so not really um I'm going to move you back sure. here. Hopefully it won't. Let me know if you still hear that um, okay. feedback. But um, not really. There were things that I would do that was extremely not allowed. Like, mm -hmm. so me and my sister, this was, we were young. I was maybe 11, 12 years old. Um, there was a hardware store around the block for me and they, so there was a DVD store around the block for me that ran their credit cards through the hardware store that was next door to them. Mm -hmm. Um, and my sister and I would take my mom's credit card and go buy these Hannah Montana DVDs mm -hmm. and Mary Kate and Ashley DVDs oh, Okay. and put it on her credit card, which showed up as the hardware store. 
Mm. Go home, watch it in secret, and then crack up the DVDs and put them in different, put the pieces in different garbage cans when we're done watching them. Like, there was small stuff like that, which we would do, which kind of, it, because I, I did have some interaction with my, the fact that my mom owned a restaurant and we had some non-Jewish um, inter interactions with non-Jewish people, it did kind of strike me as strange, but not really. I just saw it as like me being this terrible child who was going to hell for it. But mm. I mean, who can resist Hannah Montana? So Right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Man, and, and it, so you, you got the DVDs, all that stuff, and, and the way that you covered it up is so genius. And it's one of the things that I see a lot with, uh, with kids who have very, you know, that they come from very strict families, is they are very creative and very smart in the way that they continue to allow themselves to survive and, and to be able to, um, to, to function in these ways. Um, I guess, were there other things that you were doing that were kind of like rebellious, you know, things you were trying to, <laughs> trying to do? Um, yeah. So we would also like, there were small stuff. So once I had realized that I wanted to leave, um, before I had decided that I wanted to leave, there wasn't really much I was doing. Um, there was one more thing that I did. I took my iPod and I gave it to a neighbor Mm -hmm. who um, was religious, but he had gotten access to his father's computer that had iTunes and had some non-Jewish music on it. So I gave him my iPod and he downloaded some non-Jewish music. So I would listen to that sometimes um, in my headphones. But when I had decided to leave, I did some stuff like purposely my Belling was kind of in ways where I was waiting for the lightning to strike down. So mm. on the Sabbath, um, you're not allowed to rip anything at all because that's considered work. That's um, So I went to the bathroom and sat down, like uh, shut the toilet seat, sat down and took a piece of toilet paper and ripped it in half and mm. just like was waiting there for like a good 15 minutes for that lightning to just strike down. And I was shocked when nothing happened. Mm. And another thing I did was I went on a bus for like an hour. Mm -hmm. And I, because so, sorry, let me just back up. Sure. Part of our clothing stuff that we had to wear, we had to cover our elbows. So I put on a short sleeve kind of like this and wore a sweater on top of it went on the bus for about an hour. So I was out of the neighborhood where no one was. And I just walked around the block, taking the sweater off and went right back on the bus hmm. and got on it for an hour to head back. Hmm. So a lot of the rebelling was a lot of like, just kind of testing these boundaries and testing these kinds of rules for, for life. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, I would also like, we would sing prayers out loud. And instead of using God's name, which is Adonai with the N sound, I would say Adogai with a G sound. And like a lot mm -hmm. of it was just testing these boundaries, seeing if what would happen, you know, mm -hmm. if lightning would strike down, if I would die, if somebody would die, something like that. Mm -hmm. 
And so did that progress as time went on? Like we got further away from what the rule system was? Um, I think at a certain point, I just stopped caring. I think it was mm. after I got kicked out is when I stopped caring. Mm. I think I just completely didn't have time to waste. But I do remember like the first time that I went I was with uh, I was alone with a guy. I remember like we were standing close to each other and like he leaned down to kiss me and I gave him my forehead. Like I was very uncomfortable mm -hmm. in any kind of interaction with the opposite sex, but it was I think as soon as I was kicked out, everything just kind of left left and I just did didn't care much about testing things out anymore. Mm. Tell me more about that. I guess what else kind of went out the window with with that kind of like, well, the rules don't matter too much anymore. What else went with that? Um, so I think there was a lot of, that's a good question. Uh, I think before that, I was also, I had only seen myself starting a life with a Jewish person because I was still trying to maintain that relationship with my mom. Um, after that, I know that didn't matter anymore. Um, the food, making sure to eat kosher food, mm -hmm. that didn't matter anymore to me. Um, I think I was just more comfortable with myself. However, one thing I do struggle with still is I cannot shake a man's hand. So I will do everything, mm -hmm. no matter what the situation is, no matter how professional the situation is, I will do anything to get out of shaking a man's hand because mm -hmm. I am still very uncomfortable with that even though it's been seven years since I left sure sure and I mean and no no problems with being patient with yourself on things you know I <laughs> I feel I feel like that makes sense mm -hmm. um so I how did so so you're you're in this position where mom gives you 48 hours right and so did did she also cut contact at that 48 hours? Did other people cut contact? Like, how did that dynamic change? Not really. So with her, with those 48 hours, within those 48 hours, I pretty much lost everyone um, mm. overnight because nobody had known, nobody knew that I was thinking about leaving. Um, so pretty much at that point I had lost everyone because everybody found out that mm -hmm. I was leaving. Um, the one person that I did not lose, well, there were two people I didn't lose. Um, the one per one of the people were, is my best friend from high school. She, her mom did not grow up religious. Her mom chose to become religious. So mm. for her, she doesn't, tie a human's character into how religious they are mm -hmm. um however everyone else did and then the second person was my older sister so my older sister was told by rabbis that she can't have any contact with me unless mm -hmm. she was actively trying to bring me back within the community so first that's what she tried to do she mm -hmm. called me up and asked me if I would learn on the phone with her every week about the Torah and stuff like that. Mm. And I told her I wouldn't. 
Um, then she tried to offer me money to do it, and I told her no. And mm-hmm. then she just decided to not listen to the rabbis. And that was the first time that she ever didn't listen to the rabbis. And I only found out about that a couple of months ago. And wow. I'm just floored. And I think it's crazy. Like, I feel very lucky that she made that decision mm-hmm. um, because nobody else in my life did. Right. So I I think that just says a lot about her. She's an amazing person. Yeah. Um, the fact really. that she did not listen to her rabbis in that scenario. Mm. And what did that mean to you to have, I mean, because for everybody to leave overnight, what is it like to have at least that one person there? Um, it meant, it meant a lot because I think um, I didn't realize how what was going on on her end like i Mm. thought she was we were just maintaining this relationship and our relationship got a whole lot better and i found out later was because she felt uncomfortable having a relationship with me because she knew i kept putting on this facade and then as soon as i had decided to leave she saw that facade drop and then she felt like she can become close she was able to become close to me but for me, it was it was great, and it was also difficult because mm-hmm. it was great in the sense that I s- still felt family uh, mm-hmm. was there, but it was difficult in the sense that I thought every move I would make would cause them to drop me like everyone else. Now, looking back, I realized that showed me what unconditional love is, mm. what actual love is, um, and what family is. However, at that point, I think I was just terrified that any move I would make would cause them to just leave overnight as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, I mean, then that's that's everybody. Yeah. Yeah, mm. I think that's how it was at that point. Yeah. And it it makes sense that, I mean, just thinking about things, you know, logically, if if she's from the same community that, you know, rejected you all at once, the fact that she is still holding on connection, you know, she, I would have to imagine in a sense, still represents part of that community. And so we may still be kind of thinking about her that way, that just kind of. Kind of. So um, currently not really um however at that point it was still yeah she still somewhat represented that community and it was still um kind of a surface level relationship while she Mm -hmm. was still in it even though we did get to know each other on a deeper level it was still somewhat surface level because she was hearing things from within the community. Like, for example, um, when I moved out of my mom's house, I moved, I was still working at the Jewish workplace, um, but I was living about an hour away. So every morning I would walk and I would, the straight walk to my work from my apartment to my work passed by the 
neighborhood where I grew up in and where all of the people I grew all families that were my neighbors and close friends lived on that block. So every day I would purposely, because when I was walking outside, especially in the heat, mm. I wore short sleeves. So every day I would purposely walk about 20 minutes to avoid that area mm. where family lived so that it wouldn't seem as though I was rubbing it in their face. However, mm -hmm. once I was running late and I walked straight past that neighborhood and with the entire community was talking about it within minutes the fact mm. that i rubbed it in their face the fact that i purposely walked down that block and purposely decided to show them that i wasn't religious mm. um she was still hearing all that and wouldn't like confront me directly about it because she thought i was doing it out of anger and out of rebelliousness Mm. And so there was, I apologize for the ripping sounds. Give me one second. It's okay. um, so there was still that level of superficialness, if that mm -hmm. makes sense, in our relationship. Right. But it was definitely amazing to have someone that wasn't just dropping me for no reason. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And, and I wonder, I mean, in losing that community, because that community, you know, when I, I have to imagine when you're in a group mentality like that, you know, you represent more so a part of the group than, you know, that that is like a big, a very, very big part mm -hmm. of your identity. And so how did your identity shift, you know, when, when everybody cuts you off, you get that 48 hours? Um, I think it shifted by me just finding other things to focus my life on. Mm. Um, like I would become whoever I was in a relationship with. I would become exactly what they wanted. Mm. Um, I would forge these relationships where the person told me what they needed and I would become that person. Um, and I think I used that to create my identity and I use them um, as part of my identity. Now I think though, um, currently the way I, I think I'm trying to, I'm still in the process of figuring out how to connect my past identity to my current identity and figuring out how my current identity and who I am now correlates with my past. Like my past is mm -hmm. still a part of me, but it right. is not who I am now. And I think I'm still trying to figure out who I am as a person right now. It's still mm -hmm. something I'm working through, I think. Sure. sure. Trying to integrate, you know, mm -hmm. all of you into all of you <laughs> right right exactly like to be honest most of the time even though i do focus a lot of, on this on tiktok most of the time um i spend isn't really thinking about this as much mm -hmm. um but as soon as i think about it i realize that there's still so much that i have to work through and have to actually mm -hmm. challenge until i figure out my full um identity Naturally, naturally. I mean, that that's a long time to to have to come to terms with. And, you know, that that's I, I feel like that is very understandable. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things um, 
Well, I know we we've had people on before who have escaped various uh, uh, very various communities. I know we had um, Mary Byler on not too long ago, and she was uh, talking about escaping uh, her her Amish community, and we talked about how we as as the society outside of this community what we should be aware of what we can help out with how you know how can we help individuals who are cut off from everybody else what it what if anything can be done there i think the biggest thing that can be done is providing a safe space and also giving people grace with the outside world and while they're unlearning things. Mm. Um, it took a long time. Like there were a lot of beliefs that I held growing up that were racist, that were hateful. And mm. that time while I was unlearning, thankfully my roommates were patient with me and were helping me mm -hmm. and educating me. But had they not been, I. I probably would have dug my heel had they just been angry. I probably mm -hmm. would have dug my heels in with those racist beliefs, with those hateful ideologies. And I'm happy that I, that they took that time to teach that to me at 19 years old. Like these are stuff that most people would know. Mm -hmm. um, I think also as a society, I don't know that there is much to do. Um, I think more the communities within mm. need something to systematically change. And I would say when people are thinking about leaving, they should not tell anyone within that they are going to leave until they are ready to leave and they should be prepared to have everyone cut them off. Mm. Um, and that I think was the biggest shock for me because I thought I was maintaining a relationship with my mom and having everyone cut me off was a shock but I had I been prepared for that and had I left when I was 16 mm. I feel like I would have felt more in control of that situation mm. and um, I think people need to be aware of that and realize that even that they are going to lose every relationship, um, at least most relationships, mm. when they do leave. Mm. Which I imagine is a big thing that can probably keep people in a relationship like that. You know, it's, it's, I mean, I think too, like, when I work with people on like abusive relationships or very toxic relationships, it, it it has so many echoes of that. You know, I am the only support system you have. I'm the only economic support that you have. I am, you know, I am everything. Mm -hmm. And that is just so difficult to get apart from. Right. And I do know that some people who leave end up going to domestic violence shelters, to mm -hmm. DVS shelters, because it is a very similar situation where they have no one in the outside world and a lot of people have zero skills. If mm -hmm. they do have college, it's the, the degrees are in um, philosophy mm -hmm. because it's all in religion. So they aren't helpful degrees and they don't have enough experience that would actually help them in the outside world. Like I am very glad that I left at 19 mm -hmm. and not when I was older and not when I had kids and not when I was married, 
but for people who leave at an older age, it just gets harder as the years go on. It, because you get more ingrained and more intertwined into the whole community. Mm, right, right. It becomes more of, of you. Right, and I I would say like the first thing that hit me um, when I left. So when I was at the risk of being homeless. I think that was the first time it hit me that I was going to be alone and that I was no longer a part of the community because even in the community, yes, there are people who are poor. However, no one is homeless because the community will raise money to help you pay your rents, to help you pay for groceries. They will deliver groceries to you. Everybody will chip in and help you. So yes, there's some financial worry, but you're mm -hmm. never actually fully worried because you know the community will give it, get you that money. Right. Um, but when it came to finding a place on my own, that real fear of sleeping on the streets and having to figuring out how much a Planet Fitness membership was, so I could mm -hmm. shower there and where I would keep my clothes while I'm at work and just different things like that, that made me realize I think how alone I was and how mm. much I relied on that support from community for everything right when, when you're facing that that moment of real dire need yeah exactly and you realize that a lot of that safety that you didn't even know that you got mm -hmm. from the community was just gone and the community I feel like it also was an experience of realizing the community didn't value me as a person. They only valued me as an addition to the community and kind of as they only valued me if I would also like procreate within the community mm -hmm. and keep the community going for another generation. Mm -hmm. But me as a person did not have value because as soon as I left, they didn't care whether I was dead or alive on the streets or anything. That, I feel like, was a real shocker moment mm. for me. Mm. Right. Yeah. And like you said, that that is such a moment of, I would have to guess, just feeling truly alone at that point. Yeah, which is why I think I just dove into the three jobs and then dove into relationships mm -hmm. after relationships mm -hmm. because I I didn't like that feeling. I right. think I was just like, no, nah, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm mm -hmm. gonna get that. So um, yeah, it was it was a moment. However, I was still feeling at that point like I actually a couple of weeks ago. I found a letter that I wrote to my mom um, because as soon as I started in the first long-term relationship, when I started dating mm -hmm. someone who wasn't Jewish, she took me in front of a rabbi and then um, mourned my death, went through a process called sitting shiva, what Jews do when somebody dies. So she mourned my death because I was dating someone on Jewish. Mm -hmm. And after she had done that, I wrote a letter, you know, apologizing to her and you know, begging her to see things from my view. And I think for a long time, I still thought that I was in the wrong, even when I noticed, mm -hmm. even when I came to these realizations, it still felt like I was wrong for leaving the way I grew up. Mm. Right. That, 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 I guess, blast from the past continues too. you know, you, you got always got that voice in the back yeah. of your head continuing to kind of knock on things. Right, exactly. With that, um, 
in in please if this is if this is a personal question please you, you no need to answer um but i guess I, I when i think about just again relating this to the toxic relationships that uh that i sometimes work with sometimes that need and you know the emotional need the social need the economic need does cause people to second guess the decision that they made did that ever occur for you like was there a moment where you were like kind of ambivalent about the fact that you left yeah that happens actually like every once in a while and the last time it happened was when i found that letter a couple of weeks ago to my mom because you know, as I mentioned before, I have a younger sister. When I left, she was four years old. She's now 11 years old. The idea that she is growing up in that community alone and the fact that she thinks that, you know, I abandoned her to just wear pants and, like, I abandoned her just because I wanted to wear pants is what, like, she's being told. Mm. And that concept that I would even put that in front of her, it, it just, it makes, it makes me often think I should go back and tough it out for a few more years until she's at least 16 or 18. So I can have a relationship with her. Um, that is something I still struggle with. And I think I'll, probably struggle with until she's 16 or 18 mm -hmm. and then if she doesn't reach out at that point i'm probably gonna just be regretting that i didn't go back but i also know for my mental health like once i had made the decision to leave and i was still in it and i wasn't leaving my mental health really did decline because there was that cognitive dissonance mm -hmm. of feeling controlled and doing these rules that i didn't feel like they had any meaning anymore and mm. i felt like i was just drowning in all of that um so i know for my mental health it would not be the best if i went back in mm -hmm. but i often toy with the idea of going back to be there for her while she's growing up so she doesn't think that her sister just abandoned her there to mm -hmm. grow up in that community alone right there, there's a caring side of you that you know wants to wants to i guess put her over you for for the moment you know you you think about her a lot yeah 100 percent. yeah and like the fact that she's a child i'm an adult right you know and she's having to go through this i should have the ability to go through it with her mm. as well and she should have somebody there who understands but yeah so that's still something i struggle with understand um yeah that that is that's completely understandable i mean that's that it makes sense why there'd be a lot of turmoil with that um what is it i guess that that keeps you here um i think it's the understanding that if i would go back my mental health would take su uh, such a decline because again the rules aren't it's not just general rules of having to wear long sleeves and wear a skirt. The rules are so detailed and so extreme and the repercussions for not doing these rules are taught, they're so extreme, they're supposed to be so extreme. Hmm. It. I think my mental health would take such a decline that I wouldn't be around when she was 18 and I'd rather 
be around when she gets older mm-hmm. than suffering with her and then not being around when she gets older. Right. Um, that's a real fear of mine. Um, and I think that's what's keeping me out. The fact that, yeah, I want to be around when she's 18 and when mm-hmm. she's older. Right, right. I, I can appreciate that perspective. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I guess as we begin to to conclude here today, um, one of the last questions I did want to ask you, um, you know, I've, I've seen your video, so I, I know, know the answer, I, I, but for the, the listener's mm-hmm. sake, uh, I, I wonder, uh, are you still religious at this point? Um, no, at this point, I'm not religious at all. There isn't really I, anything I keep. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, it's there. I don't really concern myself because there are so many religions out there in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I can pick one and say this one is right and everything else is wrong. However, the one thing that I still, you know, connect to is um, with my dad. So my dad passed when I was in the eighth grade. Um, and he was religious when he passed. So on the Hebrew anniversary of his passing, I do light a memorial candle and I do go out and help feed because he was um, somebody who, like our house was always open for everybody. So uh, every year I go out and have dinner with an unhoused person and then get them into a hotel for the night. Um, this year, with the sorry, with the platform that I currently have, I am trying to help as many people as I could. And so far, we got up to um, slightly over three hundred dollars, wow. where we'll be able to help three people um, sleep somewhere warmly for the night and have some extra walking around money. Um, afterwards, which I think would be such an amazing thing because, you know, during his lifetime, he was an addict and it's a lot of people on the streets are addicts. And I feel like that little bit of reprieve from Mm. staying out in the cold really does help them and Mm. can hopefully just brighten someone's day in, Mm -hmm. you know, in his honor. Yeah. That, that is an amazing cause. So yeah. um, if people want to, I guess, give to the cause, is there any way that they can do that? Yeah. So on my TikTok, there is a link in my bio that has my Cash App and my Venmo. Um, they can also donate just gifts on my TikTok live. I go live pretty much every evening. Mm-hmm. Um but the best way I think would be through my Venmo or my Cash App, which is um, linked in my bio. Um, I think those are the best ways and I'm really thankful for everybody who has donated because every year I would just help one person. And the fact that this year I can help three people is Mm -hmm. just shocking to me. And like, I already did a whole cry fest about it, but Mm. I'm really thankful to everybody who has helped me get to this point already. I mean, it's, it's an amazing cause. And I, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's incredible. So, um, I would definitely encourage everybody to, to go check that out, donate if you can. Um, in your, uh, 
TikTok uh, is B-O-Z-E-T-T-E-X-X, correct? Yes, like Bozos and Bozettes. Okay. And then, because Bozette wasn't available, uh-huh. I added the XX. But just, yeah, just, I, I used to call people Bozos and Bozettes. <laughs> and that's kind of, again, I did not expect this platform uh-huh. to actually mm-hmm. grow and for people to actually find it. So kind of... Mm-hmm just happened as a childhood nickname and then became something Mm -hmm. oh i love that i love that um and i again i I love the work that you do um i am very very thankful that you decided to spend this time with us today sharing your story and and just talking with us in general so yeah Faye, thank you so much for coming on thank you so much for having me on thank you for everything it was so great talking to you Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you, everybody who is listening at home, whether live on TikTok or YouTube or on the podcast later on. Thank you so much. My name is Rob. This has been the Please Stay Inside podcast. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Bye.